Welcome into the Wire Sports Weekly. It's Friday, April 20th, 2018. A beautiful, beautiful day on campus. It's actually almost 50 degrees, sunshine, barely any clouds in the sky here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our skies are going to clear out. Put on a happy face. At Marquette University, and I guess I really don't need to introduce him, but Andrew Goldstein is here, as well as Megan Rock, and of course your host, Jack Phillips. Guys, thanks for being on the podcast with me. Oh, no problem. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jack. Well, no problem, as always, but what was that song you were just singing? Oh, uh, Blue Skies Are Gonna Clear Out. See, th- it's a classic. See, I thought you were going to start singing like Mr. Blue Sky or something from like Electric Light or- Orchestra in the 70s. Oh, that would have been a good one, too. Well, you need like a little bit of a robotic voice for that. Yeah, no, I don't have that. I've got an overly loud voice. That's pretty much the only defining feature. It's like a lot of sports, sports future anchors also do. Speaking of future anchors, congratulations to our own Andrew Goldstein, who just got a job out in Rhinelander, Wisconsin for yes, the next two years. I am employed. I'm going to WJFW. I'm going to the Northwoods. Uh, Newswatch 12 to be one of their new sports anchors and reporters. Super excited about that. I start in mid-June, so uh, if you have a lake house up there, if there are any Illinois or Wisconsin people, if you're up in that area... You know, uh, turn on Channel 12. You'll probably see me, and you'll see a pretty darn good newscast as well. Well, either way, congratulations, Andrew. Well, thank I know that's you a so huge much. Accomplishment. I'm just really happy that you're still using your last few weeks at Marquette to uh, be on the Wire Sports Weekly. Of course. You know what? I may be employed by WJFW, but my heart is still with Wire Sports Weekly. We appreciate that, but regardless, we're going to jump. We're going to jump right into the topics today. So the there's first so one, much lacrosse to talk about. So much lacrosse. It's going to be men's, women's lacrosse. Obviously, with Megan Rock, the women's lacrosse beer reporter, and Andrew Goldstein, who just pretty much knows any wire sport that you could ask him about. So thanks for being here again, guys. But for the men's lacrosse team, and this again, this is more for just Andrew and I. But Megan, feel free to jump in whenever you want. I feel like we we have to discuss what just happened in their game against Providence. And just for a quick summary, Men's Lax was down 11-7 with a minute and 37 left in the game. And I remember I was at that game, and I just was like, okay, I was starting to pack up my things. You know, obviously I still had my computer because I was live-tweeting the game. But somehow, someway, the Marquette Men's Lacrosse team forced overtime and won the game in overtime off a a John Wagner game winner. And it was just a crazy game. But, Andrew, what were your thoughts on this game? Because I know that you were up in Minnesota. Yeah, I was in Minneapolis at the SPJ conference. I was actually in the middle of a session while this was happening. Um, looking at your live tweets, it's 11-7. I'm like, all right, well, no need to pay attention to this one anymore. I was just about to kind of close the tab out. They scored to make it 11-8, and I think, well, I'll just keep it open. You know, maybe they'll score another one. Maybe I'll get some extra info. And then they got it to 11-10, and then I'm like, okay, now I need to turn on the game feed. You know, Brendan Plone and I, Brendan Plone, our assistant sports editor, we were just, like, going nuts silently in the middle of this session. But it was an incredible game, especially since Marquette is not usually the kind of team to score in spurts. Usually, if the Golden Eagles are going to win, it's 7-5, 8-6. You know, it's really hard to find a time where they've scored more than two or three goals in a two or three minute stretch. So to see them go off for four like that for really the first time this season, I mean, it's not like it's Duke or Denver or a team that really has the capability to do that. Marquette really has been starved for offense this year. They're in the bottom quarter of the entire country in goal scored per game. So to see them buck that trend at exactly the time when they needed it most, it was unreal. Like the lacrosse win probability indicator gave Marquette, I think, a one point something percent chance to win down 11 7. And even then, I thought that was generous. But that that was just incredible. You know, it's actually weird to think because I, I know that Plona and I have talked to Coach Ample throughout the entire season. And the one thing that he's always stressed with his team and being such a young offense with the Golden Eagles, it's the fact that they 
go in these little spurts, not necessarily them scoring goals, but them giving up like four or five goals in like a minute or two. Saw it against Villanova a week or two ago. And yeah, honestly, there were there were even little stints with, against Providence. At one point, they were down five to two, and, the, and three of those goals had come in like two or three minutes. And it's just those like little stints that can really dig dig them into a hole, but somehow, some way, again, it was just Marquette being able to get out of that hole and force overtime eventually to, leading to a John Wagner goal. Yeah, but the couple days before... Notre Dame scored two goals in the last minute to knock Marquette off. So really, I think this is a case of luck evening out for them. They probably should have won the Notre Dame game. They definitely should have lost the Providence game. So really, the one-to-one split. Honestly, I think the Providence win is more valuable for Marquette because even if they beat Notre Dame, they weren't getting in as an at-large anyways. The only way in is for them to win the Big East tournament. Now you get that victory against Providence. You got three wins in conference. Three and one, you are pretty much assured at making the Big East tournament. And basically, the game against Denver is just a shoot-your-shot type situation. Same with the game against Duke today, even though that doesn't carry any conference implications. And actually, our very own Brendan Plone talked to Coach Ample, and it, it is official. They actually have clinched the Big East tournament, so they're definitely going to be in that. And Coach Ample even went on, on record saying that these next two games against Duke and Denver were pretty much like, not necessarily like they, they didn't care about the game. Obviously, they're going to still try and win, but they, they're more focused on the next two and a half weeks, getting their young guys ready for it's what's It's a do-your-best kind of game. Exactly, especially against like Duke and Denver. They've both, they're both either in the top 20 or have received top 20 votes nationally. So it's just it's it's going to be really oh, they're hard top for the ten Eagles. teams. I mean, Denver just mopped the floor with Villanova a couple days ago, and the Wildcats, in their own right, were looking like a top ten team in the preseason. You know, they beat Yale, they beat some really stiff competition. So for Denver to just whipsaw through Villanova, I don't remember the final. It was something along the lines of like twenty to seven. Uh, but that really speaks volumes about how good this Pioneer team is. Actually, Trevor Baptiste of the Pioneers just got picked first overall uh, by the Boston Cannons in the MLL draft. So this is a really solid team, as solid as the teams that Marquette beat in the last two years, maybe even better than them. And actually, just jumping into the uh, next or the last two remaining games again, uh, Marquette's playing Duke and Denver, both away for their final two games of the regular season. And they have Duke coming up today, actually. It's just uh, about six hours away. It starts at 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time. So with the game just being a few hours away, and they're facing the third-best team in the entire nation in the Duke Blue Devils. Andrew, what are the odds that Marquette can steal this game on the road? Not great, Jack. (laughs) Really not that good. And I don't think Coach Joe Amplo or anybody on the lacrosse team would particularly disagree with that. This is just a get-better game. This is a try-your-best sort of game. But even though they're almost assuredly not going to win, it's still valuable to play games like this because you got a young team, and they need to kind of be shown what championship-level lacrosse looks like. And it took a couple of times of getting blown out against Duke and Denver for that previous Marquette core of Andy DeMache and uh, Jordan Greenfield, all those guys, to reach the level that they did. So this is a new group that has to take its lumps all over again, and Duke and Denver are going to give them a pretty thorough instruction in what it takes to be a top team. And that's actually kind of funny because Duke's only lost two games this entire season. I think only one of those games has come in conference and obviously the other one outside of conference. So 
And Duke definitely is, and they're 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 the number three team in the nation for the reason, or for for a reason. So it's I I doubt the Golden Eagles. I'm gonna agree with you right there. I, I really don't think the Golden Eagles are gonna get this win. However, if they can use these next couple of games uh, at Duke and at Denver as building blocks to really start getting themselves prepared for other Big East conference foes that they will meet in the championship or in the tournament, it's gonna. I think that's gonna be the main takeaway for the Golden Eagles. And if they can really focus on that and get better heading into the tournament, I think it'll really help them. Uh, in general. Yeah, the big matchup for that Duke game is going to be Justin Gutterding for Duke against Nick Grill for Marquette. Gutterding uh, leads the league in goals. Nick Grill is probably Marquette's best defender. Coach Joe Amplo doesn't believe in face guarding, you know, kind of assigning one defender to shadow one guy all over. He's going to try and slide on Gutterding. He's going to try and defend him just like any other player if previous games are any indication. So it'll be tough for the Golden Eagles to try and stop the guy that really nobody else in college lacrosse has been able to stop in Justin Gutterding. And actually Gutterding has, I believe, 43 goals and uh, I want to say 34 or 34 assists on the season. That so sounds about right. I will check the exact stats. I know, right I know the exact. It's it's self. I know he has forty three goals on the season, but my God, I just like he 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 has been the main um, the main point for the Blue Devils this entire season. So it's definitely going to be really tough for the Golden Eagles to be able to contain him on a from a defensive standpoint. And although you know you got Cole Blazer on the goal, and he's been having a, a somewhat uh, pretty good season. So it'll be interesting to see what Blazer can do and what the entire market defense can do heading into this game against Duke. But really quickly, I know you're still pulling up the stats right now, Andrew, but. Looking at the Big East Conference for men's lacrosse, there's only six teams that are in the actual conference. So heading into that Big East tournament, who poses the biggest threat right now for the Golden Eagles? Because the By the way, you got it exactly right, 43 and 34. I thought I did my stats or stat checking correctly. You're going to be a hell of a reporter, my friend. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Coming from yeah. a professional, a future professional reporter, that means a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Look, I mean, I ate ramen in my bathroom for dinner last night. Let's not act like I'm some adult yet. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> you know what? I still think you're an adult. Oh, here. please. I'm glad someone does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but back to the back to the question. Who poses the biggest threat in Big East play right now for the Golden Eagles? Well, obviously, it's got to be Denver. The Pioneers are going to be angry that Marquette knocked them off in the Big East tournament the last two years. I think the Golden Eagles kind of snuck up on them in 2016-2017. They're not sneaking up on anybody this year. Denver is going to be ready to play them. And the Golden Eagles don't really have that wall-to-wall -wall intensity that comes with the experience that they've had over the last two years. So if they let their guard down for four, four or five minutes, as they did against Villanova, Michigan, Robert Morris, Denver has the personnel to score goals on them. So I think the Pioneers are far and away the biggest threat for the Golden Eagles. So this is a perfect example of like third time's a charm for Denver in a yeah. sense that they're definitely third time. They're going to get this one right. They're going to beat Marquette in the Big East tournament. Do you think they're going to meet in the Big East championship? That's the big question. It kind of depends on where the seating falls because – if Marquette's 3-1 and one, and then presumably 3-2 and two after Denver, although who knows, we all would have said that after the last two Big East Tournament Denver games, we all saw how that turned out. But assuming they're 3-2, and two, then they actually have a pretty good chance at ending up in that 2-3 game against presumably uh, maybe either Villanova or Georgetown, depending on how things shake out. But really, I, one of Georgetown, Villanova, or Providence is going to have to be left out of the Big East tournament. You got the standings pulled up right now. I'll read them off. Denver's at the top at 3-0. Marquette at 3-1. Georgetown 2-2. Two two, Villanova 1-2. Providence 1-2. And, and St. John's 0-3. So you may see a formerly ranked Villanova team not make the Big East tournament. 
or you could see them make it as a four seed or Providence make it as a four seed and have the Golden Eagles go up against Georgetown, who they've beaten already. So I could absolutely see Marquette ending up in that title game. It's gonna be it's definitely gonna be interesting with the Golden Eagles because again they've this entire season they've they've won these close they've won close games and then although they've like you brought up Robert Morris when they lost like thir- twelve to two they were down like like ten to one or ten to two or something like that yeah, in after, the first yeah. half mm-hmm. so it's just it, it it really is like honestly a fifty fifty ball for me with the Golden Eagles so who knows what's gonna happen it'll be interesting to see how these next two games in Duke and Denver play out but regardless that's gonna conclude this section of the Wire Sports League we're gonna move on to the women's lacrosse portion of this podcast and I'm gonna reintroduce Megan Rock thanks for being here again Megan. Thanks for having me, Jack. Of course, of course. But for women's lacrosse, uh, after starting off Big East play 5-0, and the, Go- the Golden Eagles just dropped two games uh, against uh, the number nine team in the nation, Florida, and uh, a possible top 20 team in the nation uh, in Denver. So both teams obviously are very talented. So it wasn't necessarily a huge surprise, but Megan, what were your overall takeaways for both games with Denver and Florida? Well, in regards to Florida, this was a really hard loss for the Golden Eagles. I think they went in with the perception, with a heightened confidence, but they were being realistic with themselves. But falling within the Big East, that was a little bit difficult. The Gators, we saw out, muscled them in the draw circle, 18-8. to So this was kind of a wake-up call for Allison Lane and Grace Gabriel and their recipe for success. So we kind of saw that come alive in the Denver game. But Grace Gabriel also, her 38-point streak came to an end this game. So this kind of just shows when you play Big East opponents that are higher ranked than you that she will be scouted very heavily and that she needs help, especially from the lower attackers. And I think the big takeaway from this was Marquette put the Gators on the line a lot and they went five for six in free position shots very early on. So not fouling within the eight meter arc and the 12 meter fan has like they have to do it outside of that because these free position shots are really where a majority of the goals are coming from with their opponents. Yeah, Megan, you did a great piece on Jocelyn Miller for the last paper, the only freshman to start every Marquette game so far. And while uh, Meredith Black, Caitlin Fifield, all the staff really like her aggressiveness, the issue that you touched on in that piece was that she and really the rest of the defensive line can't seem to stop fouling. Yes. So when I talked to Jocelyn and Alex Gambacorda, they tried – they said throughout the season that they've tried to learn to foul outside of the fan especially, but it's still very difficult, especially against ranked opponents. So I think that's something that they still need to continue to work on, and we saw that a bit against Denver. They were putting them on the line still, and I don't know if it was frustration after back-to-back goals. We saw Denver go on a 5-0 run at some points, and especially in the Denver game, there was – so many turnovers. There were 16 turnovers in the first half, so that definitely killed them. And then in regards to the turnovers, um, they were trying to make passes that weren't even there. So the connection was lacking. So I think those are the big takeaways is the fouling and actually being able to make the connections. Because when I talked to Charlotte McGuire after the game, she was very raw and candid with me and told me that she was pissed. This was their first home loss of the season. So I think they're going to take this fire and ignite it under them for Georgetown. But they're also going to learn their lessons and really apply, especially Saturday. And actually, uh, you bring up uh, appreciated, and, or I'm sorry, you bring up like Jocelyn, Jocelyn Miller, and uh, one of those. I, I think that I know you, you guys did a piece on her, and I know that like Coach Black has obviously spoken very highly of her because you know she's obviously very important in the Marquette defense. She's the only freshman that like to start every single game on the defensive end for the Golden Eagles. But um, and I, I, so some people might say that she's somewhat underappreciated or um, mm-hmm. underrated. 
And like, and other than Jocelyn Miller, Megan, are there are there any players on Marquette right now that you think haven't gotten the recognition that they deserve? Um, that maybe they should have that recognition, or they should be more appreciated. Are there any players that are underappreciated? Yeah. Well, for this, I initially thought Jocelyn Miller. We didn't really talk about her all season until last week when we really just focused on more her and the defensive unit versus the attack in midfield with Grace Gabriel, Allison Lane, Riley Hill, everyone along those lines. But I also think anchoring the defensive unit with Jocelyn is Alex Gambacorda. When I sat down and talked to them, they said that Coach Black said that they have a very similar playing style. They're both very aggressive, so they can kind of feed off one another. They know each other's tendencies. They can give each other just the look, and they know what to do. So I think those two players are truly underappreciated. We don't talk about them enough. We don't really interview them enough after games. It's always the focus is on the attack or the midfield or sometimes the goalie. But I think those two players have really helped shape the defensive unit and helped Jules Horning win uh, some games this year that we didn't really think that they were going to win. Yeah, if I could add another name, Riley Hill on the offensive end. Over 70% of the team's assists from last season were not on the team. They graduated coming into this year. And I think the big question on offense was, Who's going to be that second home? Who's going to feed the attackers? Mm -hmm. That's been Riley Hill this year. She's up over 30 assists. And I think we've seen what happens when defenders kind of take her away, limit Marquette's passing. A lot of stuff runs through her behind Cage. Yeah, we saw that definitely on Wednesday against Denver. Riley Hill's the main feeder for this team, but there was even a play where Riley Hill got fouled by the goalie. So there was a free position shot without the goalie even in net. So it was something that lacrosse we've women's never lacrosse seen. rules are so weird. Yeah, it was something that mm-hmm. we've never seen. So that was the only way she could score her first goal of the game. So you could really tell that Denver scouted her well in her feeding as well as Grace Gabriel and Allison Lane. They had to go in and do a lot of cutter shots and down low versus usually mm-hmm. the top shelf is where they had their tendency to go. So mm-hmm. Actually, with and again, Marquette only has two games left um, with Georgetown and UConn, and I think Georgetown's probably going to. This might be a little bit of a stretch, but this might be the hardest team they're going to face all season, and it's coming at necessarily a, not necessarily the best time as they've yeah. lost two games uh, in a row against Denver and Florida, who are also very very amazing uh, programs. But um, how, how do you, Megan? How do you think Marquette's going to finish this season? And based on that question. Do you think the Golden Eagles will still or will be able to make their first ever Big East tournament in program history? Right now, it's hard to tell, especially with Georgetown. Um, they're ranked number two in the Big East, and Marquette's sitting right now at the fourth seed. So the top four teams make the tournament, and I think if Marquette's able to pull off a win, that would be great. But in regards to UConn, who's also in the Big East, they're sitting at sixth with Vanderbilt right now. So I think if they can overcome UConn, and maybe keep it close with Georgetown. I think they're almost equivalent to Florida at this point, so it's really difficult to tell, so I don't want to make any predictions until after I see Saturday's game, but I think that they can still make the Big East tournament if they come in with the right mindset and the confidence and mentality we've been talking about all season that's really been driven home by all the coaches because we know that they know how to play together. We've seen big wins this season, especially the Vanderbilt game. That was huge, so I think I I don't... It's hard to tell. Well, actually, their two remaining games are at Georgetown, home UConn. If they win one of them, they're in. They're in, yeah. Because the team immediately below them, the only one at 4-3 and three is Temple, Temple, and they have tiebreak over Temple. And then everyone else, 3-4 and four Vanderbilt, 3-4 and four UConn. So the Golden Eagles just win one of those games. 
there's literally no way for Temple to get in over them. Yeah. They would have to go through Denver. I'm not sure if Temple has tiebreak over Denver or whether they play them or not. I need to look that up. But all the Golden Eagles need to do is win one of their final two games. And even if they don't, they could potentially still get in, uh, depending on how Temple or Vanderbilt breaks. So I think the odds are better than not that the Golden Eagles are going to make the Big East tournament for the first time in program history. Yeah, this will be huge for the program, and especially Meredith Black and all of the hard work that she's put in. But I think if I think they can win the UConn game. Georgetown, I'm still really iffy on. It's yeah. hard to tell. So. That's actually going to be interesting because even if they if they were to make the Big East tournament, I feel like it would be such a great building block for this team, uh, judging with the fact that they still would have Grace Gabriel coming back next year. They'd be losing Allison Lane, correct? Yeah, correct. they would She's lose Allison here. Lane. They'd so, lose Riley Hill as well. So yes. and, I, and I believe Alex Gamma quarter then as well. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they would be losing like a, a, some, some big names, but um, with the freshmen they have coming up, as long as they were uh, mm-hmm. assuming that Coach Black did a Charlotte great job developing them. Yes, yeah, McGuire's a senior. They would lose a lot of offense. So yeah, it'd just be, like the year before. So mm-hmm. it'd be somewhat similar. So it'd be interesting to see if Marquette could take whatever they learn in their if they assuming they become a fourth seed, assuming they keep that fourth seed and they make the tournament. It'd be interesting to see what they can take away from the the tournament and uh, take into the or apply into next season with such a younger offense, similar mm-hmm. to what happened in like the last two years. Yeah. I think that fall ball's going to be crucial for the Marquette program next year, especially losing some really big names like Allison Lane, Riley Hill, Charlotte McGuire, Alex Gambacorda, uh, things along those lines. But then again, you have Jocelyn Miller, who's a freshman that's really stepped up. Her leadership, uh, according to Alex Gambacorda, has been stellar. She's not scared to say something and kind of call you out on a play and kind of, I guess, tell you what to do better. So having her anchor the defense next year as well will be vital and crucial for Marquette overall. And you actually mentioned, the, um, you just said the word stellar. That actually brings up to mind Caroline Stellar, who, in my opinion, might actually be one of the uh, key offensive um, people next, or key offensive players next season, uh, assuming with like all the seniors graduating. So just a name to look out for. I, I don't know her exact stats, but I know that yeah. she's been playing pr- pretty well for the Golden Eagles. And I know that Coach Black has spoken very highly for his freshman on the offensive end. But regardless, that's going to do it for the Wire Sports Weekly uh, for the April 20th, 2018 version. We'll only get, we've only got one or two more podcasts left, so hopefully we'll still see one or two more uh, podcasts with Megan Rock and at least one more with Andrew Goldstein because mm-hmm. I know this is you're, you're coming to the home stretch, man. Yeah, that I am. Don't remind me. All right. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to make you cry on this podcast. But so we'll just wrap it up really quickly for Andrew Goldstein and Megan Rock. This has been Jack Phillips, part of the Wire Sports Weekly, as always, your host. And we will see you next time. The skies are gonna clear out. Put on a happy face.